Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. I think it's safe to say that our luck has officially turned around, guys. We are back, baby. We're back. Classic. We are back. We are back. We are getting Doug back. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. We're the three best friends that anyone can have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. Michael Preston. I think our luck uh, really has uh, just turned around, uh, to say the least, compared to where we were a little over a month ago. I am Michael Preston. You are here on a brand new edition of the Coop Center Hour because we got football to talk about, man. We got, like, sports to talk about, and it's pretty darn cool. It's going to look weird with no fans in the stands and what I'm assuming will be some piped-in crowd noise over the TV broadcast, and it's going to feel weird because it's going to be a very short schedule with a crossover game that I want to talk about later on, too, because I love that idea. But I I don't know that I really care, but too much that it is going to be weird because we're at least uh, going to be able to watch and talk about it. So we got that going for us. Kyle Bonagura from ESPN.com. I'm going to stop by a little bit later on to talk about that decision that went down last week from the Pac-12 presidents to resume uh, the college football season in the Pac-12 by early November, November 6th and to go ahead with men's and women's basketball. I'll say off the top, the really quick note as to why volleyball, soccer, other fall sports are not coming back is because the NCAA is not sponsoring their championships in the fall, and there's a big difference between soccer, volleyball, all those other sports, and football, in that football at Washington State, the championship, and the Bulls are not sponsored by the NCAA. They have nothing to do with it. So that's that's why there's that difference. Um. And we'll and we're and we're going to talk later a little later about the actual like football roster and what you could be expecting from it as fall camp comes closer. But for now, what I want to do is kind of focus on everything that led up to that decision last week. And we talked about on this show before a little over a month ago that my belief was that the season is not being postponed or canceled um, because of. You know, these schools are so very, very concerned about the health and well-being of their student-athletes. And and I think, like I said, you know, yeah, sure, I'm sure there is some of that that goes into it. But a lot of this is about protecting themselves, right? A lot of this is about protecting the idea 
of amateurism and about protecting themselves from liability. Because although we are getting a better and clearer picture of COVID-19 and how to diagnose it and how to more effectively contact trace and potentially some of the long-term effects from it, it's still you're dealing and dabbling in something that you don't know everything about. And it's not good to go into that, you know, into the situation where you're playing college football, especially as we discussed before with athletes that are, as in the strictest sense, not paid. They are not compensated traditionally for their work. It's not a good idea to go into that with anything other than the full picture of what's going on. So my belief was that from a liability perspective, that was most of the reason why the Pac-12 decided, you know what, we're going to follow the Big Ten here and we're going to shut things down. Now, part of what we didn't really discuss was in the aftermath of that was that the Pac-12 actually looked decent, decent to good, because although you may not have agreed with the decision to postpone the season, the Pac-12 was being transparent about why they did it. They were sharing the information they used to come to that to that decision widely. They had a couple of Pac-12 university presidents You have press availability to talk about why they made that decision. Larry Scott made the rounds, and in a rare, I I said as much, it was very rare for me to praise him, but he deserved it in the immediate follow-up to that decision because the conference was very forthcoming about everything, and they outlined why they made that choice. And it seemed like, given the chaos in the Big Ten that followed shortly after, that they had really done everything right. And again, even if that vote wasn't, 12-0 to postpone the season everybody messaged the same way there was there was no there was no you know like dissent at all everybody said no this is what happened and we agree with it and if they didn't agree with it they at least kept their mouth shut to avoid some of the issues the Big Ten was having but I think that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten both thought more of the Power Five conferences would come with them. They obviously did not, as we've now seen all the other three are all underway. And I think, too, that when the Big Ten made their decision to reverse course and to play a partial season this fall, the Pac-12 was left with little option but to do the same thing. You cannot be the only Power Five conference to not play in the fall that's just not it would go terribly for you your next tv contract you're going to lose out on all that revenue you're going to set your schools even further behind i happen to think the pac-12 is better than the acc because the acc just has clemson and a bunch of scrubs but apparently they get a ton of credit for that and being on the east coast helps but you inevitably fall down to the basement of the power five and i, I don't i don't buy into the whole well in the mountain west but no it's just, it's just no look there's there's the power five there's a group of six that's how it goes I think there's a very clear delineation between who is better than, you know, I mean, I think the gap is pretty wide between the power five and the group of six. So they they were kind of left with no other option. Larry Scott at least left the door open when they said they were going to have those antigen tests delivered uh, at the end of September. They were the first conference to get those that their athletes are going to be tested every single day, that they're going to get that test, which will allow for better contact tracing if a, if a positive test does come up. And he at least hinted publicly that acquiring those tests meant that, not necessarily, but it meant that they could come back sooner 
than January 1st with all their sports, right? So football, men's and women's basketball meant that those things could happen sooner. And then when the NCAA announced that the men's and women's basketball season would start Thanksgiving week, you kind of got a hint that, okay, if these tests are here by the end of September, that probably means the basketball season goes forward uh, in late November because you're so much you're so much better able to control you know groups and practice and all those other things. So really, the last domino to fall was football. And I think when the Big Ten made their choice to go ahead with the season, the Pac-12's hand was kind of forced. I think a lot of the liability issues that the Pac-12 and their member institutions were worried about are probably removed because of those rapid result tests that they now have their hands on. In that, you know, if if somebody tests, you can test, and if results are available that quick. I mean, God, you could administer the the test on the tarmac of the team plane before they leave, and anybody who pops a positive stays home. I mean, it's it's that simple. So, I don't know how it's going to work, but it seems to be that that you have that ability to do that better. And I think it means that you're not, you know, again, the long-term health effects are not completely known. We know there are some problems for some folks from this, and that is what is so scary if you are a college that, say, a, per, a player who is expected to go on and have a long NFL career catches this, and they knew they had to play to be able to keep their draft stock, and they catch it, and it costs them, that's going to cost you a lot of money. And so I, I understood why they did it. I understand now why they're going this direction. Because, again, that liability largely removed with the ability to test that rapidly and to get results back so quickly, you're not going to take it to another school, in theory, which is another big liability issue. But at the end of the day, it also comes down to, like we said, if the, once the Big Ten said they were going to play, the Pac-12 was not going to be left behind. That's just not how it was going to happen. I think my frustration really came in that was, you know, early last week and the week before, where it then became very apparent again that... If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck or it's a really crappy conference commissioner. Because regardless of whether the rules on practice have been made clear in California or whether or not, you know, these schools just thought, well, we can't flat out practice. Nobody bothered to call the governor. Nobody bothered to call the governor's office. Nobody bothered to shoot an email over to Gavin Newsom's uh, like press secretary or one of his uh, many advisors on whatever, nobody bothered to like contact the Department of Health in California. Nobody bothered to contact Santa Clara, the Alameda County, the Los Angeles County Department of Health. Nobody bothered to call. I thought the messaging was confusing in that Gavin Newsom says, oh yeah, they can practice, but uh, you know, you look at everything that they have written down that pretty much says, no, they really can't. But the intimation there would obviously be that all it took was a phone call. All it took was getting in touch with them to figure out that, yes, this could happen. I, I think that even if you think the answer is going to be no, a phone call is a good idea. An email, a superb decision on your part if you're Larry Scott and you are anybody with the conference. The same thing goes in Oregon because that ball got rolling quick because Kate Brown says, yes, the schools in my state can practice. Let's move forward with this. Let's get going. 
And once that happened, the ball just, it's impossible to stop the momentum at that point. Even though Boulder County said the morning the Pac-12 presidents took their vote that no, you cannot gather, students cannot gather in Boulder County. Well, we'll see if that's going to be a problem. And you'll even listen to Kyle here during the interview. They, the conference still has not gotten the all clear from the county health departments and the city health departments. But they're going to go forward anyway because that's how valuable this is. That's how valuable this season is. And that's how valuable it is for these schools to not miss a season of football. We've talked about on this show before how valuable football is to all of these institutions. And again, I I think part of this, and we haven't heard much from these players about unionizing. We haven't heard much from that movement that even Trevor Lawrence got involved in before the season started. We haven't heard much from it because the advantage here for these schools is, is that when you have a players union in any other professional sport, these guys are generally, or women for that matter, are generally invested long-term. They're going to be in the league for a while, so you can make take some meaningful change in negotiation from that. But college has a finite period in which these players can be eligible. It's just how it is built, right? So at most, at absolute most, you're going to be there for six years. Five years for a bigger majority and four years for an even bigger majority. And then you add on the top of the fact that it's 18 to 22 year olds and even less gets done. So you're finding out just how important this money really is to these institutions that they're going to go ahead and go forward with this. I think that they now know they can do it more safely. And again, removing that liability issue that they're more comfortable going forward with it. And I frankly am tickled. I don't want there to be like some misconception that I wanted this to be the, to be the opposite way where we were not going to have a season. I wanted to watch football this fall. Again, it goes back to what makes you feel good. What makes you feel like something is normal and regular again, right? What makes you, what makes you okay for just a little while? What's, what's normal is yelling at the football players for three and a half hours on a Saturday in the fall. That's what's normal. That's what's been missing in my life for the last month or so. So I wanted this to happen. My main concern was that it be done in a way that, you know, these institutions are going to protect themselves. But I also think that this is kind of a moment where, again, if these student athletes can grasp this and can move forward with, you know, if, if you guys want to do this, you show you, the, the schools, every single one are showing how important these players are to them. Because it, it's not a matter of every time we see unionizing brought up and every time we see player pay brought up, it's, well, there are a dozen guys who would step in and they, and they would take your place. You know what? You are right about that person who says that. But do you remember what Paul Wolf's teams were like? Ain't nobody watching LSU and Alabama if it's, if it's a bunch of two stars from the middle of absolutely nowhere in East Tennessee coming to play for those schools. These players know their worth. That's part of the NIL legislation moving forward and part of why the NCAA does that you know kind of like crumb by crumb over the years because they need to keep this going as long as they can it all was going well until the week before when you realize that again this conference is who they've always been we're circling back now I went on a tangent there but we're circling back this conference is what they've always been they've always been difficult to understand why they manage it the way they do They've always been absolutely mysterious as to why they make some of the decisions they make. Take, for instance, the fact that the conference has no digital media staff right now and their their production teams are furloughed and that 
their head of the broadcast of the network still makes a boatload of money and has no employees right now. Take for instance that bonuses got paid out to employees right before or after furloughs earlier this summer. Just that one moment, I thought when just a just that one moment, just a moment, I thought we had a little competence. But again, why why would I why would I think that when presented with the evidence literally and gestures broadly at all the other evidence there is available to me out there when it comes to showing how stupid and incompetent and just recklessly dumb this conference leadership is? Why would I think anything else? I have no I didn't even think of different adjectives there. It's just a different three different adjectives for stupid. Look, we get football back. Truncated season, but we get a little football back. We get some football back. So let's talk to Kyle Bonagura about how that came about and where the conference goes from here later on to we are actually going to talk about some football because, again, another year in a row, Washington State is breaking into a new quarterback. It's been four in a, four in a row? Yeah, four, yeah, in four years, they've had four quarterbacks. That's fun. <laughs> Kyle Bonnegar on the other side of the break here on the Kook Center Hour. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We have returned on the Coug Center Hour. Back with us, Kyle Bonagura of ESPN.com. He's a Wazoo alum, but he covers the entire Pacific 12 Conference uh, for ESPN. And Kyle, last we spoke uh, a few weeks ago, it was, well, more than a few weeks ago, we were on the brink of the season being postponed or potentially canceled. And now, about 45 days later, here we are. You had your busiest workday in quite a while, I must imagine, uh, on Thursday last week. Yeah, we had a few days of a calm before the storm waiting for Thursday, so I kind of got all my ducks in a row, just waited for that, that afternoon meeting and be ready for whatever, you know, whatever was going to happen, happened, and, you know, from there, it was certainly, you know, from, I guess, like, what, 3 o'clock till 10 o'clock last night, it was as busy as I've been in, you know, in several weeks. And I think that's, that's a nice busy, you know, it's always nice to be that busy after that long, but... Uh, talking more kind of about that day, because, you know, I think, like you said, we were all kind of very patiently waiting for 3 p.m. to come, and then we were waiting for uh, the news to break about what was going to happen. We had a couple of wrenches thrown in earlier in the day with Boulder County saying that college students wouldn't be able to gather, so that throws Colorado into, you know, chaos and other issues um, with the Bay Area schools and their health departments, but... Did you get the sense kind of going into that, that the decision was pretty inevitable, that they, that in some form or another, this conference was going to play football this fall? They were not going to be left behind as the only Power Five not playing. Yeah, I didn't have any 
expectation for the meeting to be about anything other than whether to start on October 31st or, you know, the, ne the next week. And, I, you know, we, we talked about November 7th being the date, it ended up being November 6th. That was really all that was going to be discussed. And because they had the chance to kind of sit down and see if they wanted to move forward with the season last week, and it, it was very clear coming out of that meeting that, um, progress was made towards playing a season. It's just a matter of, okay, go back to campus, discuss it with you know, various uh, people on campus and kind of get input, the required input to go back and kind of weigh in with how they thought the best way to move forward was. Mm -hmm. The Colorado, the Boulder County thing complicated things a little bit in the morning, but you know, obviously not to the level to threaten the season. It, you know, Maybe that contributed to the November 6th start date as opposed to October 31. I'm not positive that it did. Um, I, I don't think it did, actually. But at the same time, you know, it was another kind of, you know, hurdle that they had to clear at, yeah. at the last minute. But it was certainly, you know, it was it was clear for, for a few days, at least, that the season was going to happen. Yeah, you also reported uh, last week that, I mean, so, I mean, part of it, I don't want to lose this kind of in the football discussion, because obviously that's the conference's big moneymaker, right? But that basketball is going to be going forward on the appointed day, because the NCAA said a couple of weeks ago, the season can start on November 25th, and part of that vote yesterday was that men's and women's basketball would go forward on that date. That was a pretty significant uh, part of the vote as well, because, I mean, you know, the Pac-12 does have better teams than they've had in the past, so, I mean, that, that must have been pretty important as well, right? Yeah, no, for sure. It was, uh, you know, last week's meeting was, was a basketball meeting. Like, they had planned to uh, discuss basketball at that point. So this is the, the November 25th day is something that has been at the top of the mind for, you know, for a few weeks now probably um, to make sure that they were able to start with the, you know, uh, with everyone else in, in college basketball. So I, I, wasn't, I wasn't caught off guard by that at all. I yeah. think it was really cool once they signed the – the deal to have the rapid testing that there was enough of a lead in time to make basketball, you know, get to a place where basketball could work, especially, you know, the, the rosters are smaller, the, you know, there's less moving parts that you have to deal with in a basketball season. The travel schedule is a little bit of a, you know, uh, an element that needed to be accounted for. But I, I think everyone in the Pac-12 was pretty confident for several weeks that they would, mm -hmm. you know, arrive where they did. Um one thing that kind of struck me, uh, you know, as we went through all these postponements and cancellations was that, you know, initially the Pac-12 postponed the day after the Big Ten did. And I think from there, their paths kind of diverged in terms of who was handling it better, because it, it seemed at least like the Pac-12 finally, for the first time, had their ducks in a row. Whether you agree with the decision or not, they were very transparent about it. They were very upfront about why they decided to do it this way. Larry Scott even said, look, you know, if we get these tests in and they look good, that allows us to come back earlier if we want and then typically, as we'd expect, it all kind of fell apart last week when Gavin Newsom said, look, nobody bothered to call me. Nobody bothered to call my office to check to see if the four schools can practice or not. And then what do you know? The dominoes start to fall really quickly after that. What? What? Why didn't they call, Kyle? I just I want to know why they didn't call. That's all I want to know. That, you know, that's a great question, and uh, eventually maybe we'll get an answer for it. But I think that the, the, the schools were discussing – the restrictions with the appropriate people, right? So, yeah. like the, the the health departments were the ones who were making those calls and setting those guidelines, and the feedback that the schools got from those decision makers was that no, the co the cohort rule was in place. They couldn't, uh, you know, they couldn't practice in groups larger than twelve, and so at, at that point, the idea that the governor was going to overstep the decisions made by the the appropriate health people. Um, you know, you could question about why the governor was even 
in the mix at all with this. Like, mm-hmm. I, like it, with the benefit of hindsight, it certainly makes sense that you know Larry Scott should have called the governor. But I have some questions about if the governor should really be involved in college athletics at all. Like, why is why is that the case? Right? Yeah. There's a lot of other things that you know government officials should be spending their time on rather than deciding if a college football team can practice with a certain amount of people. Like, why isn't there someone else, you know, in the state government that could have been reached to to, to kind of address that issue? And then mm-hmm. maybe that's a little bit besides the point. But it's clear that you know once public pressure was applied. To Gavin Newsom, that's what worked, right? That's what triggered um, the the conference's ability to move forward. And, and, and he played it in a really bizarre way, saying he wants to make it crystal clear that any like the, the, the nothing the state has done prevents college football yeah, that, from playing. Yeah. Well, it wasn't crystal clear. It wasn't crystal clear at all, and it's still not crystal clear because teams in California still do not have the go-ahead to practice with more than twelve people. They've you know, I, I was in contact with the uh, with the state health department yesterday, and they told me they had no update for me on whether those guidelines, the temp, the interim college athletics guidelines, had been amended to allow for cohorts of larger than twelve. And there's been some indications um, that you know the Pac-12 has received word that it will change soon. But as we said on September 25th, California schools are not allowed to practice with more than 12 people. And so if it was crystal clear, like Governor Newsom said it was last week, you know, th- th- that restriction would have been lifted. But but it hasn't. And so the intersection of, of politics and the pandemic and college football is too obvious to ignore, right? Yeah. It's clearly a part of this. It's a part of this on the West Coast. It's a part of this in the South. It's a part of this, you know, in the Northeast and everywhere in between. So it's something that you would hope that college, you know, college athletics and college sports doesn't have to deal with mo- most of the time. But these are obviously un- unusual circumstances, and that's just like the simple reality of this is part of the part of what we're dealing with this season. Yeah. So I mean, they, so just to, I mean, for clarification purposes, is pretty much they the vote to go ahead with the season was taken, knowing full well that they still had not gotten the absolute one hundred percent clear go ahead for Stanford Cal. UCLA and USC to practice and I mean they call it cohorts it's kind of a it's an odd word but basically I, I, I'm kind of like paraphrasing but it's basically in groups no larger than 12 people at any one time or those courts up to like stay together or whatever it is but they still regardless have not gotten permission to to practice in a normal football practice sense correct well, this is perfect timing. So this the podcast isn't live but I just got an email that popped up in my in- inbox it's from the county of Santa Clara It says, statement regarding college sports. So let's read it. We and other public health experts have ongoing concerns about the transmission risks associated with intercollegiate contact sports, particularly in light of the many COVID-19 outbreaks that have occurred on college and university campus on various sports teams. After the governor announced the state guidelines would be modified to allow Pac-12 sports to proceed, university leaders in the county are requesting our direction on whether intercollegiate contact sports can can safely proceed. We are currently awaiting from the state to release its revised guidance. We will review the new state guidance and proposed university protocols. Uh, blah blah blah, and it says they'll you know they'll make the decision then. So perfect here we perfect are. news dump. It's yeah, September, no, I know that's it's gone. September twenty fifth, and we don't have clarification on it. Stanford's not allowed to practice. San Jose State and the Mountain West is not allowed to practice. The Mountain West is supposed to play October twenty fourth. That's a that's that's a month. That's from ambitious. Yesterday. That seems ambitious on their part. Yeah, that seems a little Absolutely. ambitious. Un- yeah. uh, unreasonably ambitious, right? And so, yeah, th- these things, these these uh, rules are 
are, are not clear, are not crystal clear. And so that, these are the hurdles that the, the Pac-12 and the, and the you know, its member schools have had to deal with. I mean, we are we now we have a start date for the season, but you know, Stanford's still not allowed to practice. Well, it gets even more complicated, too. I mean, I just want one more brief tangent before we move on to the to the scheduling. Even I mean, there's no schedule yet, but just what they're going to do for it is that, I mean, Cal and Stanford are in two different counties as well in the Bay Area. So it's not just, you're not just dealing with, like in LA where USC and UCLA are both in Los Angeles County, but Stanford is in Santa Clara County and, uh, and Berkeley is in Alameda County. If I remember right, correct. That's correct. And not only that, but the way it works in Berkeley, they, they, they use the city orders. So you're not in Berkeley. You see Berkeley's not dealing with the County of Alameda. They're dealing with the city of Berkeley. So you have in various places in the conference, people dealing with, state government you have county government and you have city government and trying to get all those people on the same page is a, is a tall order and, and it's you know it's you kind of you start to understand why these things are, are so hard it's why it's so hard to get things done yeah exactly okay let's talk about the scheduling because it's a seven game season uh starting on november 6th so it'll go until the 19th of december i think 19th or 18th of december i can't remember which one but you play six games, so you're going to have five games against your division plus one uh, cross division. And then I think a really interesting thing, and I, I want to explore this more just like in the future. I mean, it's a logistical nightmare, but a crossover game where everybody's going to play on conference championship weekend, regardless of whether you're in the game or not. But you don't know who you're going to play until the week of. And I kind of really love that. That's I mean, the coaches are going to hate it, but I love it. <laughs> That would be pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, I know. I, uh, I know that that adds a new twist and something to be uh, excited about. I'm 100 for that. Yeah. So so kind of so the so it goes like um, so the game counts towards the division standings if I remember right. Have they as the conference like alluded to how they're going to decide who gets to play whom because. I know uh, Jeff and Craig on Podcast Versus Everyone, the other podcast on our network, discussed we would love to see the University of Arizona in Pullman on December 18th. It would just be a real treat for everybody involved. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So that's, that would be a uh, perfect uh, a, a opponent for the for the day in the month. Uh, I, I they don't have they haven't announced how they're going to select the opponents yet, to my knowledge, and they are going to count. Uh, I might have missed part of your question, but they. Have, and they also announced that the crossover game counts towards the standings, which feels weird. Yeah. I asked Larry Scott that on the press conference yesterday about if it would count. They said it would count. They they debated that in the room and decided that it was worth that it was important to them that every game mattered. Um, it seems like it's a little bit inequitable from a competitive. You know, it's, it's not competitively. It doesn't make sense to you know if if one team plays USC and one team plays. Uh, you know, Arizona out of the South, your schedule is not balanced at all. Like that's mm -hmm. a significant hurdle. It's like, it's a little bit, it's, it's always the case, right? Cause there's never a balanced schedule with the crossover division, but right. you know, it's less of a deal when you're playing nine conference games as opposed to six leading into the, uh, leading into the conference title game. So I was thinking that, Oh, just, you know, play your play week one as the crossover game. Don't count it towards 
the standings, you know, counts to your overall record like a non-conference game would in every year. Yeah. So it still matters statistically for historical purposes. And then it kind of gives you that, that one ramp-up game to get ready for your season, which would be the division schedule. It seemed like that would be the most fair way to do it. There's going to be no perfect way to structure it this year. There's just not. But mm-hmm. it seemed like that made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I think that was one thing uh, John Wilner, one of your colleagues at the San Jose Mercury News, pointed out was like, look, guys, like if you want equity in this schedule this year, it's just not going to happen because, you know, I, I think, you know, anybody who's in whichever division can think uh, whatever they want of their particular division. I think the North is a little bit stronger uh, this coming season, but I, it, there's just no matter who you play in that one game you do know of in, you know, for the Cougs in the South, plus the one crossover game you don't know about. There's just nothing that's going to make it fair. Plus the fact, I think another good point he brought up is that the conference is going to want to balance this moving forward into next year and not because there is a rotation to how you play teams in the other division. So, I mean, that's got to be a big consideration for them too, right? Where they need to, they need to make sure they kind of keep this straightened out so that things don't get too screwed up going forward. Because I mean, they have basically a formula that can take them to infinity and beyond. Yeah, I kind of feel like they should just push everything for a year, like Mm -hmm. push the conference schedule for what it was going to be this year, push it to next year, and then this year, however you determine the crossover opponent, it's just a one-off, and you just kind of have to accept it for what it is. Like trying to figure out how this season impacts next season the most in a way that makes sense seems pretty difficult. Um, So that's kind of what I would be in favor of. I mean, there's a – you know, at the same time, it doesn't really matter, right? We we can all yeah. just accept that, like, it's just going to be weird. And whatever it is, 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 is not going to be perfect. And just enjoy that there's actually football being played. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think they could have considered playing a longer season and just saying, okay, if, you're, if the conference champion is selected for uh, the playoff, which isn't going to happen, uh, let's be let's be frank about that. Or you know, you take the Rose Bowl champ out, and then you play. You could have played another three games uh, yeah. at, at the back end of the schedule in just like you know going into January. Seems like it would have been a kind of an interesting way to make up some of the games that they're not going to yeah. get to play. They'd be able to recoup some of the television revenue. Uh, you know, get into some windows where uh, you know they will they'll have less competition. It would impact the bowl season, of course, but the bowl season apparently is going to start as early as December one, it doesn't require any sort of wind threshold. So ah, the whole thing is a hodgepodge. I was on the mountain West call earlier and their, their schedule is so bizarre. They can, they're, they're going to have, they're going to try to play eight straight weeks, only testing three times a week. And Boise state still might play BYU out of conference. Air force is going to play army and Navy. So they might only play six conference games and they're going to try to make sense of that. So there's really no like. Okay. I guess we should just be happy that I, I guess we should just be happy that there's football being played and just like yeah. enjoy that we just get to watch them all as like one-off exhibitions because there's so much just so much weird. Stuff no, I know. I think uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's kind of I'm I'm still like you know foamating on it, but I think that's how I'm gonna kind of take this. He's just like, look, man, I'm just I'm just thrilled to be watching a little football and just as my own personal way to guard my heart when Wazoo loses the Apple Cup again. It's just it's just preseason for Nick <laughs> Rolovich, you know, getting warmed up to the real big kick uh, next year. Uh, one last thing I want to touch on you with is um, no fans in the stands for any of these games. The conference did decide on that. That does follow uh, the Big Ten's decision to do the same thing. I, I You can correct me if I'm wrong, but basically what went into this is that, you know, we talked earlier about these schools having to deal with so many layers of government, be it city, county, state, uh, whatever. 
is that basically the easiest thing to do because again you're going to have different rules for this in every jurisdiction in the conference is just to say look no fans in the stands at all we're going to recoup some of the tv revenue here that we were going to miss this year but nobody gets fans in the stands whatsoever just period blanket way to make it fair for everyone yeah, I think that was the most fair way to do it, especially when you have an unbalanced schedule and some teams are going to get four home games and some time, you know, some teams are going to get three. At least no one's going to have fans to make an impact. You're going to have the travel impact, of course, but you're not going to have the in-game uh, noise component, which should be somewhat of an equalizer for, for home field advantage. It's not like a perfect thing. It's not going to reset it to 50-50, but it does yeah. uh, reduce some of the value of, of, of playing a home game. So I, I think it makes sense from that standpoint. I think it makes sense from a health and safety standpoint you know, public health standpoint, um, you know, I, I, I would have, I, if I was the commissioner, this is exactly how I would proceed with it. No fans. You know, there's, it, it feels weird to see the the social distance stands anyways. It doesn't feel real. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's not going to, with no fans, the, the atmosphere on TV is not going to be that much different. Um, I, I don't see any, um, I, I it would be very tough to convince me that the the better way to go would have been to have fans in the stands. It just yeah. doesn't seem like it's worth it with everything that you have to weigh into it. Yeah. And one more clarified, they've also said that about basketball too, at least through January 1st, nobody in the stands for basketball as well. Correct. Right. They'll be able to revisit the idea of having fans um, at any athletic event that the conference hosts um, after the new yep. year. Kyle Bonnegar writes for ESPN.com, did a superb job covering all that breaking news last Thursday. We are going to have football, at least it seems like, unless California just completely falls apart again in terms of what health officials decide there. But relish in the fact, it may not be perfect, but it is football and it will be happening this fall. Thank you, sir. Yeah, looking forward to watching some games. I was uh, I was uh, getting depressed that I wasn't going to watch Pac-12 or yeah, Pac-10 I'm... football for the first time since I was very young. So... Uh, it, it restores some order in my life, which is uh, very much appreciated in, in, in 2020. Yeah, I was more disappointed than I thought I would be, too. All right, thank you again, man. Sure thing. A big, big thank you again to Kyle Bonnegar for joining us. He, too, has a, a newborn, so as I'm sure any parents out there know, scheduling things can be a little bit of a mess with little ones who get uh, all the say over when you get to do stuff. Uh, so we really appreciate him uh, being available again for us. Um As we said earlier in the show, uh, we got some actual football to talk about now, right? Because I think even before, you know, after the push, after the schedule got delayed, and then we all kind of knew that that was just kind of delaying the inevitable for them to make the decision to delay the season, uh, postpone the season. But now this one seems pretty uh, pretty permanent because, again, like they're not going to be left out as the only conference uh, to not play. So that leaves us. Uh, with the ability to talk about, for the first time, uh, really, uh, we could talk about some honest-to-God football. And that and that feels pretty nice right now. Practice isn't going to start for a few weeks. It doesn't start until early October. They are not just allowing you to have, you know, carte blanche in terms of, in terms of how many practices you can get. You do get more than usual, but you do not get... Uh, you know, you don't get to just start practicing right now. So all the teams get the same amount. I think it's like 25 practices before uh, the openers on November 6th. So it'll be interesting to see where Washington State goes again, because in 2017, you had Luke Falk and Tyler Holinsky. In 2018, you had Gardner Minshew. In 2019, you had Anthony Gordon. And now in 2020, you're going to have a different quarterback again. And I've been thinking about this a little bit since last week, 
when they announced the resumption of the season that it would only be seven games. And I, I do want to talk about that last game here in a bit because I really like it. Um, is that really this is kind of, it's, I mean, it is, it's half a season. I want to try to not evaluate Nick Rolovich on this too much because, I mean, what a way for a new coach to come into a program, you know, just thrown into the chaos of all this. And then, you know, you, you have to prepare, you have to get them ready with a new offense and a new defense. And you don't get, like Jeff and Craig talked about on podcast versus everyone, you don't get the soft landing and non-conference schedule. We don't know the schedule yet, which by the way, again, back to the Pac-12 incompetence, how didn't they just release it last weekend on all the pregame shows when the SEC came back? Anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but you don't get that that easy game. You don't even get an FCS game to figure all this stuff out. So this, this is a, like, you know, shoved out of a helicopter onto a concrete pad, hard landing, not like onto a mattress or anything like this is, this is difficult. So I want to try to temper expectations, especially with Mike Leach's drubbing of LSU uh, last weekend. I don't want to be, I want to try my best to be fair to Nick Rolovich in all of this, because this is not an easy thing to come into. I mean, it's, it's hard enough to be a new coach it's really difficult right now. So, especially again, when you're going to have a new quarterback, no matter what, again, right? Nobody left, um, again, with eligibility that was a starter last year. So, it's Cam and Cooper, Gunnar Cruz, and Jaden Delora. And I'm I'm very interested to see. I don't know that Jaden Delora is going to get the call uh, from Nick Rolovich this year because, again, this is a truncated season and... I almost kind of view it as like a preseason for Rolovich's first real season in 2021, if that makes sense. But you're going to find some stuff out about these guys, and I'm interested to see where Nick Rolovich and Brian Smith, who's the offensive coordinator, and Craig Stutzman, who's the co-offensive coordinator, coaches the quarterbacks for Washington State, where they go here. Because we've seen so much of Cam and Cooper, you know, that... I, I think I know everything there is to know about the guy because we've seen him in a lot of spring games. I mean, obviously not this year, but we've seen him in a lot of spring games where you can see where that just that tantalizing cannon the kid has. And he has the ability to move around. And Gunnar Cruz, 6'5", 229. Cam and Cooper, 6'4", 216. They're both just that prototypical what I'm mean, what it's what kind of what uh, Mike Leach wanted out of a quarterback. But it's going to be interesting to see what you get out of either of them, right? They're both underclassmen, technically. I don't know what kind of legs, well, I mean, they have legs, but I don't know what kind of speed Cooper and Cruz have. That is a component of this run-and-shoot offense, and we'll obviously get more into that previewing it as we get closer uh, to the season. And Jesse's done a great job uh, previewing a couple of concepts of it already. But quarterback runs are more of a, not a staple necessarily, but they are a bigger, bigger feature of the run and shoot, much more certainly than the air raid, um, but more than you may be used to. So again, you're going to have a position battle at quarterback. And Nick Rolovich said on the coaches show with um, with Matt Chazanow that you know they're going to have to make some of these decisions in terms of who, who's playing where a little bit quicker than they might have wanted to because of the fact that, you know, they, they need to get these kids ready to go um, a little quicker than you would ordinarily in a fall camp because you can afford to take 
those lumps in a non-conference game. So Cooper or Cruz, I, again, I don't think Delora is is really is really going to be considered for this. He might again, he might jump up and surprise. I'm the guy who thought Gage Gabrud was going to start last year, and look where that got me. Um, so I'll be interested to see where that goes. I think even without Tay Martin and without Roderick Fisher at wide receiver, you still got just an absolute wealth of talent at that position. You've got Travell Harris, Jameer Calvin's coming back after red shirting. You've got, um, you've got, uh, my goodness gracious. I'm just blanking on Calvin Jackson's name. Good Lord. Calvin Jackson. You've got tons of talent still there at that position. You obviously got Max Borgie as well. So the offense is still plenty loaded. Again, it's the defense. It's the defense that we're very worried about here. Uh, Jake Dickert is going to have his workout work cut out for him uh, with this defense because it is still, I don't think, you know, it's not like the NFL where you can just get better by signing free agents and stuff like that or making trades. This is, this is certainly going to be a multi-step process. Now I, I say this is a big caveat because it is 2020, but it's really hard to get worse than last year. It's, it's going to be difficult to be worse on defense than they were last year. You get Jahad Woods back, who was your leader on that defense. And I think we talked about him last year so much, trying to do way too much. And the dude was just caught out of position so much. Again, probably a lot to do with the fact that his defensive line was not very effective. And he was so good because his defensive line in front of him was so good that it allowed him to roam a little more freely and to not have to worry about gap assignments and all that other stuff. The secondary is still going to be a work in progress. And I think that's putting it generally, generously rather. So this is going to be a very interesting fall camp because I want to see, obviously, I think as it is any time you have a question about who's going to play quarterback, that's going to get all the attention. But defensively, seeing who starts where and what goes on there is going to be very, very interesting to me. I'm going, I'm going to look forward to seeing what Jake Dickert and his staff do with the players on that side of the football because it would not surprise me to take a recruit like Oyak. Oyak? Oyak? I can't remember how to say his name. He's a kid from Lakewood. Flipped to Washington State on signing day earlier this year that he starts at cornerback. It would not surprise me in the least bit to see him out there right away um, with some of these younger players. So it, it's 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 not going to surprise me to see uh, some younger guys on defense get a shot. It would surprise me at on offense to see some any any of these younger guys get a shot because you still have so much talent on the offensive side of the ball who was i trying to think of who's the other cornerback who i really wanted to see my god i am just absolutely drawing a blank see this is part of the reason why you go so you have such a long layoff you forget like guys like Derek langford duh and armani marsh duh you just just straight out of your mind just it just melts out the back of your brain also the not sleeping thing with a newborn i do want to get to one other thing about this football the new schedule really quick the really interesting thing, and I, I want to find a way for I want to find a way for this to stick around for a while. I want this crossover game to be around forever. I know the coaches would hate it. I know the athletic directors would hate it, but I would love it. So what the schedule is this year is you get your six games, okay? And then so the conference is still gonna have a conference championship game, but on that weekend the every other team that is not playing in that game will cross over to the other division and they will play somebody else. Now, if that sounds familiar and you're from Washington, there's a reason why. And that's because high schools have been doing it here forever. They've been doing that for a long time. 
And I think it's a brilliant idea. I think it's really brilliant. It totally screws up the schedule the conference has in terms of rotation, you know, for, um, in terms of the rotation for the schedule. But I adore this idea. And I, I, again, I have no idea how to actually make it work. But I don't really care. Because <laughs> it sounds so cool. That, say, there's just like a weekend every year. And, and you can work it out so that... Because reliably, the, the reason why Wazoo schedules their non-conference games the way they do is because they know in certain years they're going to have four home conference games compared to five home conference games, right? So you try to do... You try to do uh, three non-conference games at home in the years where you have four, and two, you're fine with two in the years where you have five. But, so, you know ahead of time, say, that it is going to be a home or away game. Okay, so you can sell tickets, people can book hotels, all that good jazz, right? And so you also know that your schedule remains balanced. Money-wise, you know exactly how much money you're going to have coming in. But, like, say it's just in the middle of the season. And you do like a draw on Sunday morning. And you televise it and and it's just completely random. Or you do like the conference has their, how they cook in, you know, the formula for it, but they keep it secret. I really like this idea because you would not know until the week of who you're playing. Now, again, the coaches are going to hate this. They are absolutely going to hate it. I don't care though. How cool is it? That you you find out who you're playing week of and like, say Wazoo gets a home game, right? So say for one year it's Wazoo, they get a home game and USC wasn't originally on the schedule and then they get SC to come up for homecoming. Oh my God, how fun would that be? Now, granted, it could work the other way and you could get like Colorado again. But I feel like Colorado's seen enough of Pullman. They get their butt routinely kicked other than that one game in 2012. They get their butt routinely kicked in Pullman. But still, like it, it could be something really cool like that. Right? I really love that idea. Keeping it around, but like moving it to the middle of the season and and making it like an event the week of. Like Pac-12 crossover week and you just do a whole bunch of fun stuff with it. I'm just an ideas man, guys. I don't go over the details, okay? I'm, I'm, bar- I'm trying to get to know the roster again here. This is, this is where we're <laughs> right now in the football season is that I wanted to get this show out to you so you could listen to it, but I'm still... The baby and the roster and all these other things. So I apologize for my lack of knowledge. We will remedy that uh, moving forward on the roster, roster specifically. But you know what you're getting when you download the show. You're getting a lot of fun. That's what you're getting. Speaking of fun, Dunderhead of the Week. Ask Michael anything coming up next. Thunder head of a big time. Why do I do the voice thing? 
Why do I do that? It's so stupid. DK Metcalf. But, uh... <laughs> I don't know who's a Seahawks fan. I make an assumption that most of us are also Seahawks fans, given where our university's located. Uh, but, boy, uh, dude, like, don't stop running and start showboating a little bit seven yards in the end zone when there's a defender not draped on you, but half a step behind you, because he might just poke the ball out of your hand and out of the back of the end zone. You know, like it happened on Sunday. And you didn't score. That first touchdown, anyway. <sighs> Look, the ball out of the back of the end zone or the side of the end zone and it becomes a touchback for the other team is still the stupidest rule in all of sports. It needs to be changed to the fact where the team who had the ball, you take the ball back to the 20 and you go whatever down and distance is appropriate at that point. But, still... I mean, I watched, you watch the replay. It's not like the defender's that far off of DK, and he had to know he was right back there, and he had to have known that he did not, like, fall off speed-wise or distance-wise all that much, or maybe he didn't, and he just had a humongous freaking brain fart. I'm, I'm going to go with that, but either way, dude, you got, what was it, Leon Lett? Leon Lett? Who did that, like, for the Cowboys or whatever it was, down in Miami, I think? Or do, wasn't it during a Super Bowl? I can't remember who, but I, I remember that infamous old highlight of that happening once, and it's just like, hold on to the ball, son. Get all the way into the end zone with it, and then drop it. How many times do we see that in college every year, too? I think Oregon had one one year where a Utah defender or Utah player dropped the ball outside the end zone, and they scooped it up and went the other way and scored, because the referees were like, oh, he didn't blow the whistle. No, didn't do anything. The ball's off. You want to pick it up? If referees talked out the side of their mouth like that, that'd be a little weird. That would be a little weird. Ask Michael anything time. This is what happens when I don't have, like, cougar stuff to talk about. You start doing weird crap, like talking out the side of your mouth at the end of a segment and then laughing about it. I don't know how you guys put up with this show. I'm so glad you downloaded, though. I get to buy nice things with the money, like uh, McDonald's and stuff. Uh, ask anything time like a quarter pounder a week it's great uh from kyle bonnegrew who was our guest on the show why isn't a first birthday called the first birth anniversary i've done the math day of the birth is your first birthday one year old second birthday thanks for your consideration because i think the only reason would be like because you got to keep going with that right like you'd have to keep calling it like your second birthday would be your your when you turn two, it would be your second birth anniversary. But then would you have a birthday? So when you were two, you'd be three? See, that's probably why. It's just, it would get confusing. So you have the birthday, and then your first birthday out of the womb, I guess that would be why? I'm thinking about this a lot deeper than I thought I would. Which is really saying, saying something, because this is still a very shallow end of the pool for most folks. <laughs> Green CPA, at Green CPA. Did you pay more income taxes than the president? And when it comes time to replace you, will you agree to a peaceful and orderly transition? I think after this show, most folks would appreciate a peaceful and orderly transition. But no, I will not be leaving this chair. Drag me from it. Probably. I don't know. But yes, I did. Uh, at Kel or Kellen, at Kellen Watermelon, would you rather have today's Seahawks win, so the one against the Cowboys with all offense and no defense, 
or the 2013 Seahawks all defense, little offense. Well, I root for Washington State, so I'm more used to the former rather than the latter. But I like watching Russ play, and like I like I like watching him finally be the quarterback we always knew he could be. So I'll probably go with with that. I, I like I like offense. At Coach underscore Smith ninety nine Brandon Smith, do you put ketchup on your hot dogs? Absolutely not. No, no, no. Nine yet. No. At Devin Lewis eighty nine. Now that we have football again, what's your favorite pregame food? Piggybacking here is Brady. What about post-game food? Just run us through a game day of food and drink. Uh, food, if we're in Pullman, breakfast club to start, right? And then I usually try to remember to eat at Valhalla. Get your order in before the wait gets to be like two hours for food. Just like some chicken tenders and, and fries. Just a nice base in there. Start your morning with a Bloody Mary or a red beer. I really like a Rainier and tomato juice or Clamato juice is really good in there as well. And then I try to have uh, a vodka tonic, something in the afternoon that is also water because then my wife inevitably orders a lot of IPAs because that's what she likes to drink pictures of. Not distance beers. She likes those really like heavy, high alcohol content IPAs, which usually put me on my butt by about bedtime and I can't make it to the bar after the game. That's usually about about it. But if I'm at home, uh, just whatever beer is in the fridge, honestly. I don't, I don't go for anything in particular. Um, and then uh, I try to cook pork if we're going to be at home. I try to cook a pork shoulder. At Brendan Quinn 025, Brendan Quinn, were you rooting for the leech upset of LSU? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I don't, I don't hold any particular ill will for the guy. I think when he left, I, I said as much. You know, it's like, yeah, it was probably time. It was probably time for this to happen. But uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was rooting for him a little bit. At Bandy Ban Candy Corn Antifa Naval Cadet. Well, that's quite a combination. Are boneless wings chicken tenders? Yes, they are not wings. Not wings. Hopefully, it's scheduled to talk about next week. If not next week, the week after, we'll be back for the start of fall camp here on the Cook Center Hour.